All right, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them up to the book of First Peter, which is right before Second Peter. <laughs> While you're doing that, um, I want to let you know, if you've got something to write with, write this website down if you're not already aware of it. It's called thestream.org, thestream.org. Um, it is an alternative to the, the news websites like Drudge Report and The Blaze and things like that. But what makes it different is that it looks at all the things, the news events going on in the world and in our nation. And it comes at them not from a conservative viewpoint or a liberal viewpoint, but a biblical viewpoint. And it looks at these and it's got um, ministry leaders from all over the nation, all over our world that are speaking into these things that is just, just so good. It was started by uh, James Robinson, who you may have seen uh, on TV with the Life Today show with his wife Betty. And he and some other men got together and started this and it was just awesome. Reason why I'm telling you about it, not just so you'll be aware of it, but they also have inspirational stories of faith on there. And they recently interviewed one of our own, Jessica Lusk, and about what God has shown her and been teaching her through the loss of her uh, husband earlier in the year, Cody, and um, just what he's doing in her is now finding herself as a single mother, and it's just, it's really neat. I mean, it, it will encourage you, it'll strengthen your faith, so just go on that website and check that out. Huh? TheStream.org, T-H-E-S-T-R-E-A-M.org. All right, we good? All right. We've been in uh, the first chapter of Ephesians for the last three weeks, but today we're moving into 1 Peter, and we are continuing to look uh, essentially at what it means to be a Christian. And I think a lot of people have some pretty big misconceptions when it comes to that on exactly what a Christian is, and not just those who aren't Christians, but even those who, who call themselves Christians. I believe that uh, many of us have some misconceptions about what that means. And today we're looking at another text that's probably going to be pretty familiar with a lot of you, or have you at least heard it before. It's a, a verse that's been used in praise songs, it's been printed on coffee mugs, it's just one of the more popular verses among Christians. And even though we may be familiar with it, today we're going to look at what it actually means. And so, First Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 9 and 10, so let's stand together as we read the word of the Lord. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. God, the word that you give us today is just so rich and so powerful. God, it doesn't matter how eloquent my words are up here, how well I'm able to explain things. God, none of us will get it unless by your spirit, by your power and your grace, you open our eyes and our minds to give us the understanding to see it for what it is. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would do that, and you let these truths just not, not stay in our minds, God, but you would sink them down deep on our hearts, that we may be changed by it from the inside out, so that you may be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
I would love to do a survey of, say, a thousand Christians and ask them to write down the answer to this question, just what does it mean to be a Christian? And I'd love to read those answers to see what people would say. And yeah, there'd be a lot of similarities and there'd be some things that, that, that they would say that are right about that, but there would also be a lot of differences. And there'd be uh, some answers that don't have anything to do with what it means to be a Christian at all. And I don't say that because I think a lot of Christians are dumb. I say that because I know that the enemy of our soul does not want us to know the truth about that. And so he is going to throw as many lies at us as possible, hoping some of them will stick, and many of them do. He knows that what we believe about our identity has everything to do with how we live, and so all he has to go has to do is to just get us to err just a little bit in what that means, in who we are, and then the rest takes care of itself. And if we read all the answers to that question, I would bet that the vast majority of them would say a lot about what we do. That they would be things along the lines of, well, to be a Christian means that we go to church, that we read our Bible, that we try as best as we can to avoid sin, and et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why I say that is because in our culture, we tend to associate who we are with what we do. And that's a very dangerous thing to do because at any given moment, something could happen that would keep you from being able to do what you do. And if your identity is tied to that, well, then now who are you? Because you can't do that anymore. That's why so many uh, professional athletes, when they get a career-ending injury, suddenly find themselves in this pit of despair, not because they can't play the sport that they love anymore, but because they have lost their identity. It's why so many men in particular fall into depression when they lose their job because they haven't just lost their ability to produce an income, they've lost their identity. They don't know now who they are now that they can't do what defined who they are. I can't remember the exact statistics, but I once read about how uh, a high number of men end up dying within the first two or three years of their retirement. And there are a lot of theories as to why that is, but the most prominent one is because most men in particular, we find our identity in our work. And so we'll say, I am a businessman, I am a builder, I am a lawyer, I build this, I construct that, I guard this, this is who I am. And if that's how we define ourselves, then when what you do eventually comes to an end and you retire, you're left wondering and trying to figure out who you are now. And so a lot of men just decide that that is uh, too overwhelming of a task to do this late in life, and so they just lose the will to live. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a remedy for that. There is a way to live life to the fullest with a heart of ever-increasing joy that has absolutely nothing to do with what you do. And this morning, we're going to discover the key to that, and we're going to look at who we are as Christians, not what we do, but who we are. 
So 1 Peter 2.9, we're going to walk through this phrase by phrase. And if you haven't already, you should probably just go ahead and underline or highlight 1 Peter 2.9 there because this is who you are. And I love the first thing it says, that you are a chosen race. You don't have just a bunch of individuals, but a whole race of people. And it's a race that transcends and is built across all cultures and all colors. It's a race made up of of those of all tribes and tongues and nations. Your identity as part of this chosen race has absolutely nothing to do with your whiteness or your blackness or the fact that you are Hispanic or Asian or whatever. And it has everything to do with the fact that God has chosen you. It is a chosen race. This isn't a group of people who have suddenly figured it out. It isn't a group of people who have analyzed all the options and come to the conclusion that Christianity is the best choice. What sets this race apart is that God has chosen each and every member of it to be the vessels that he fills with his presence on earth. We are the ones that he has handpicked and rescued in order to display his glorious attributes. You know, I thought about titling this message, Why I'm a Racist. Because in a sense, you can say that I am because I do do believe there is one one race that is greater than all the other ones. And it is the chosen race of God, those who are in Christ. I really want you to listen to what I'm about to say because I believe it is vital that we get this. All we seem to hear about lately is talk of race. From the Black Lives Matter movement to the bemoaning of white privilege to Hispanic immigration to refugees coming here from the Middle East. As much as the world likes to talk about the importance of racial harmony, it sure does do a good job of trying to divide us along those very lines. And it's real easy for us to get caught up in all that, even among Christians, even within the church. But I'm telling you, when we do, it means that we have lost sight of who we are. We've lost our identity. Because when you become a part of God's race, you become a part of something that transcends color and ethnicity and culture. Those divisions are gone. They're gone. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11 is talking about being renewed into the image of Christ. And it says a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. I'm telling you right now, I don't believe for a minute that God gets any pleasure at all in the fact that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. The fact that we have predominantly black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches is just an indication that we don't know who we are. That is not an accurate reflection of who we are in Christ. Now, some might argue that and say, well, that's just a cultural thing. I mean, it's just natural 
for people to flock together and to be drawn to their own kind. Well, yeah, I know it's natural. It's very natural. But when you become a part of the, the chosen race of God, you become a part of something supernatural. We're not natural, folks. We are supernatural. And God's chosen race trumps whatever cultural or ethnic race that you identify with. Now, for a church in East Texas, we're pretty diverse compared to most others. And I love that we are, but unfortunately, that's not really saying a lot. And obviously, we can do even better. I would love to look out from here on a Sunday morning and see an equal mix of all races. And listen, if me even saying that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, then you need to check your heart and bring that before the Lord because obviously there's some more work that he needs to do there in that regard. As a church, we should be actively seeking to be more of a picture of what God is doing among the different ethnic groups, bringing them together, reconciling their differences under one banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating the 4th of July, and it'll be another epic celebration of the fact that we belong to the United States of America, and I I love that. I love the 4th of July. I'm so grateful for this country and the freedoms and the liberties that we get to enjoy. My heart loves this country, but ultimately my heart and my allegiance is to the kingdom of God. That kingdom is made up of those that are not of the same nationality that I am. There are those in Iran who are my brothers and sisters. Those in North Korea, who are my brothers and sisters, in China, in Africa. There are those in every country on earth who are my brothers and sisters, my fellow countrymen. I'm not a white man who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be white. I'm not an American who happens to be Christian. I'm a Christian who has been blessed to be able to live in the United States of America. My identity and yours too, if you belong to Christ, is that we belong to the race that is the chosen people of God. You are a chosen race. Next he says that we are a royal priesthood. We're royalty. Man, I don't know what happened, but I keep seeing a bunch of purple shirts people wearing today. So that's it's just a sign, man. God knew what we were going to be talking about today. And so people got, there's a lot of purple around here today, which is a sign, man. We, we are royalty because we've been adopted by the king. We are co-heirs with Christ, who is the king of all kings. Yeah, that's something to shout about. I agree with that. But it doesn't just say royalty. It says that we are a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who had direct access to God, unlike the rest of the other people. And I really hate the fact that people still have that mentality today when it comes to preachers or anyone else in professional ministry. We are not the priests who have more access to God than anyone else who is in Christ. 
There is a reason why the veil of the temple was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. And it signified that he made access to God, full access to God, available to all who believed in him, not just a select professional few. And then it says we are a holy nation. So again, one of the difficult things about preaching the Word of God in this day and age, especially in the southern United States, is that the mindset of individualism is just so rampant. When it comes to our relationship with God, we are very quick to be all about the me and God, but not so much about the us and God. You are a holy nation that's so much bigger than you. It's bigger than your whiteness. It's bigger than your blackness. It's so much bigger than your identity as an American. It's bigger than you as an individual, but it makes up who you are as an individual in Christ. We are a holy nation. That means that believers in Christ who go around the loop here to First Baptist, who go right over there to Grace Methodist, who go to Cedar Creek, Go to Southside, believers all over this city, all over this state, all over this nation, they are my brothers and sisters. They are, by the blood of Christ, our blood relatives. We are a holy nation. It's bigger than you, it's bigger than ET, it's bigger than the Baptists, the Pentecostals holy nation. And then the next part of this is probably my favorite, a people for God's own possession. I think much of our lives would change if we really understood this. If you really know what it means that you are God's own possession, I believe things would look a lot different in your life. Not only are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but we are a personal possession of God. We are his own. And so if you look at what this means in the Bible historically, that means that God is protecting us. He is protecting his people and watching over our steps. He is for our joy and he is for his glory in us and through us. We collectively as the people of God are being protected in this world in ways that we can't even fathom. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 1.11 that says that God works all things after the counsel of his will. Right now, God is at this very moment orchestrating all these events going on all around the world for the benefit of his people, for those who belong to him and are his possession. That's why I say if you are a Christian living in the United States, there is absolutely no need at all for you to be fearful about the direction that it seems like our country is heading. If you are, then you have lost sight of who you are as God's own possession. God may not be working all things for the good of the United States of America but he is working all things for the good of those who belong to him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. And you being a part of 
his nation trumps the fact that you are a part of any other. We also find in the scriptures that God is a jealous God. He's saying, I'm jealous about you and for you. I'm jealous for the glory of my name being manifested in you. So he is for us. That's why Romans 8 would say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for his glorious purpose being fulfilled in us, then who or what in this world is going to prevent his purpose from being accomplished? Nobody. No thing. And again, that doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you. We still live in a broken world, and being God's possession does not mean that we are going to be immune from running into and being affected by that brokenness. But God is with us, and he is for us in the midst of the brokenness, and he guides us through it, and he heals us when that brokenness wounds us. He comforts us when, he caught, when it causes us to grieve. He draws near to us when it breaks our heart. And he uses every bit of it to carry out his glorious purpose in those who belong to him. We are his own possession. I look at the last part of verse 9. Because now it is talking about what we do. It says, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, this is our job description, to declare his excellencies. You say, well, which excellencies? Because that's a pretty big list. The fact that he has called you out of darkness into his light. And then verse 10 just expounds on that a little bit. He says, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God just wants you to make much of that. Now, if you think about it, that should be a pretty easy thing for us to do. I mean, it's not like God has just burdened us with some huge overbearing task here. All he's doing is requesting that we do something that we should want to be doing in the first place. I mean, we talk about what we love, do we not? Of course we do. Talk to somebody long enough, and you're going to know for sure the things they love, that they are into, that they are passionate about, because we can't help but talk about the things that we love. Just ask me about my kids, but make sure you've got the time to listen, because I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to brag on every one of them. Ask me about my wife and how good she is for me. You won't hear me go... You know, that's just a crushing weight on me. I'd, I'd rather do something else. You mean you don't love them? Well, yeah, I love them with all my heart. Well, then make a big deal of them. Well, no, I'd just rather... No, you're not going to hear me say that. I'm going to talk about the things and the people that, that I love. We jump at the opportunity to talk about the things that we love. And so it's not a burdensome, burdensome thing for God to, to put this on us. Make much with your mouth what you already make much of in your heart. Are you kidding? That's a dream job. Who wouldn't want to be tasked with that? 
And that right there is why we should never stop reminding each other and talking about who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are in him. Because the more we focus on the gospel, the more our love for him just increases to the point where, man, it's going to be hard to stop us talking about his excellencies. If we love the fact that God has chosen us, that he has made us a part of his holy nation, that he has given us full and direct access to him, that he has rescued us, then we're going to want to tell others about it. And then what that does, it frees you from all your other identities. And I said other identities because there is this unusual phenomenon that's going on in our culture that's been going on for about the last 30 years or so. And it's the fact that people live in layers, is what they call it, what that means is that they take on a different identity in whatever environment that they are in. And so it means that in your, in your job, there's a certain identity that you live from and live up to there. And then when you're at home, there's another identity that you put on as husband and father. And then when you're hanging out with your buds, just recreation, there's a whole other identity there. And then when you come here to church... Now you've put on another identity. This is how our culture tends to live right now, and it's why some people can come to church and act like they are the closest person to God in the building and then live like hell on Monday and have no problem with it at all because there's no overlap with their identities. That's just a completely different identity there, and they see no conflict with that. But knowing who you are in Christ frees you from all those other identities because if I belong to a chosen race of people and I've been made a priest in the kingdom of God and I belong to a holy nation of people who have been pulled from darkness and I've been given the job of declaring his excellencies, then that gives purpose to everything I do, no matter what environment I find myself in. In my job, this is who I am and what I'm asked to do. In my home, this is who I am and what I'm asked to do. Hanging out with my friends, this is who I am and what I'm asked to do. And here at church, this is who I am. This is my job. And so our identity stays solid. Whatever your job is, that's what you do, but that's not who you are. And so even if what you do changes, who you are does not. And I think the biggest thing in all this, knowing it and believing it, helps you understand that it's not about you. And the more that you can get it through your head that it's not about you, then the happier and more joyful you are going to be in life. Because if it is about you, then people owe you something. If it's about you, then you deserve things. And people better do what you expect them to do. I mean, just think of how much conflict that right there breeds in your heart. Think of how much anger that would stir up and the entitlement that it causes you to walk in. I mean, think about the constant frustration that living that kind of life brings. 
when you think things are all about you. But if it's not about you, then think about how freeing that is. Because if it's not about you, then you won't have those expectations of others. You won't feel like you're entitled to anything or that people owe you. Now you're not frustrated all the time, but you are at peace. And you're free to serve others. And you're now free to declare the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, regardless of how anyone else is going to take that, regardless of what anyone else thinks of you if you say that, because it's not about you. It's not about you. I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know how you would answer the question, who are you? My guess would be that your answer would probably have a lot to do with what you do. This morning, my prayer is that God gives you the grace to be able to separate your identity from your action. Some of you still need to separate your identity from your past. If you are in Christ, that is gone. This is who you are now. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's very own possession. Make much of his excellencies in the fact that he has called you out of that darkness and has placed you right in the middle of his marvelous light. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for just the awesome reminder this morning of who you have made us. When I was saying this morning about how even as I was studying this, God, it was just a reminder that I needed in my own life as you begin revealing things in my heart that I needed to lay bare before you. And God, I pray that you would use this to do the same in the hearts of others in this place right here this morning. God, in the hearts of those who may be listening online right now. Lord, your truth knows no boundaries. Your spirit is not contained in anything. Lord, I pray that we would be a church who knows who we are. And Lord, our makeup would even reflect that. God, it's just so crazy how this world just talks about racial harmony and things just to be, the divisions seem to be getting wider and wider. I mean, the answer is clear. The only racial harmony that will ever exist is for those who are in Christ those who belong to Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that reflects that so the world can look at this and while all these divisions are going on, they can look and go, what in the world is going on there? There's something special. There's something supernatural at work over there. And, Lord, you would be glorified through that. Lord, help us to realize that it's not about us. Help us to realize that we belong to something so much bigger than us. So much bigger than the, the petty allegiances that we have tied ourselves to. 
Lord, I pray that we would have one primary allegiance, and that is to the King of all kings. Our allegiance is to the race that you have made us a part of, to the nation that we belong to in you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come now and just do that work in our hearts that molds us more into the image of who you are, that we would live lives that reflect 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Lord, let who we are be the drive of everything that we do for the renown of your name. It's in that magnificent name of Jesus we pray. Amen.